Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 311311. Thanks for tuning in. Joining me today is Brendan Maluli and Tim Maluli. Guys, uh, interesting day in the market. Yeah, uh, I, I think we might have touched 7% down on the Dow today. This is Thursday. What do you think? Is it all the uh, the Robin Hood traders taking their profits? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. But but before we even get into reasons why, I just want to, for perspective, I know that it's we were down 1,861 points on the Dow and I think 190 points on the S&P. The S&P is back to where it was. Today is, is uh, June 11th. The S&P is back to where it was the day after Memorial Day. So right. just a little over two weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's alarming, I think, with the way this year has been... Uh, a day like today in the market in terms of the percentage move would have been uh, a big deal if we hadn't gone through a stretch earlier this year where where we literally had seven, eight percent moves. Uh, that was like the norm for a right. two, three week stretch there. I think we kind of got desensitized to uh, market moves like these. So it m- might be a bigger deal if uh, we weren't coming from that. Also, we're coming off the best 50 day stretch for stocks recorded since I think like coming out of the Great Depression. Yes. So, uh, you know, again, perspective in the sense that, you know, we went down about 35% and then rallied more than 40 uh, to come back to where we were uh, recently at the at the highs of uh, Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so we've given back a little ground here. I don't I don't think it's anything to, uh, you know, lose lose your mind over though, right? Can we spend a minute just talking about this whole Robin Hood phenomenon? When you roll in the idea that I don't know how many uh, hundreds of thousands of people have opened accounts in the last few weeks on Robinhood. They're sitting at home trading stocks now. Uh, and we've got Davy Day Trader, uh, the guy from Barstool Sports, uh, saying Warren Buffett's uh, past, his, past his prime, I'm the new king. The dude's business I mean, is in attention. He's just a cartoon yeah, character. He's creating he's, content. He's that's, doing this yeah. on purpose. He knows it's a joke. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a... He, well, he knows it's a joke, but there's a lot of people that tune into what he says, yeah. and they subscribe. I kind of said tongue-in-cheek, the, the Robin Hood comment before, because, you know, these accounts are not loaded up with money. They're not moving the market, and anyone yeah. who suggests they are is out of their mind. I'm stunned that we're seeing that explanation, though, given for why the market has been so frenzied the previous week. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's a funny anecdote to point out like, hey, my friend, my friend texted me and he's been trading stocks on Robinhood. And, uh, you know, this is, that's a you know, sign of the top. We, you know, people point out stuff like that all the time. You can, we could probably tee up another 10 examples of people saying like, oh my God, look at this thing. This has to be a top. Like, yeah. you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think people who are day tra- I don't I don't condone the behavior of uh, day traders on Robinhood. I wouldn't recommend doing it uh, with any significant portion of your money, but I don't think they're out there like, you know, driving the market or anything like that. That's I ridiculous. They, they, they can't. Um, not with the size that they're they're swinging around. It was interesting today while the market was down how quickly it went from like poking fun at the Robin Hood traders like this is the top haha to 
oh, this we're back into the second drop. Here we go. Like more pain is coming today. Right. It's like second wave. Right. Nobody saw the first leg down coming, and nobody saw the rally back up coming. But now there are people out there today saying like why today's market move is indicative of things to come in the future. It's like, you no didn't, you idea. Didn't call either you have of no, those things that you just said. So. There are no credibility left to stand on for people yeah. making calls like that. I mean, and, and you know, just to point out an example, uh, Druckenmiller uh, this week was interviewed and, and there was an article in CNBC and he was basically saying uh, how his comments from back in, in May uh, about how the risk-reward opportunity was maybe one of the worst he's seen in his career was uh, was obviously wrong here in the short term, and he that he had been humbled and that he underestimated the Fed. And I don't think the lesson to take away from that is that is uh, it's it's not the Davy Day Trader uh, lesson to take away. Like Drucks past his prime, he's washed up, he doesn't know what he's doing. This is one of the all-time greats who was wrong. Uh, first off, admitted it, which is I, which is I, I think. I was gonna uh, say you don't yeah. see that very often. No, <laughs> most of the time you don't see that. Druckenmiller tend, tends to be better about that than most, but also it, it doesn't matter to him. Like he's not he's not out there betting his own livelihood. Like if he was wrong directionally, like he said he he's returned three percent over the last you know couple of months since the market bottom versus over forty for the S and P five hundred. That doesn't impact his life. Like he's going to be fine, even if everything went wrong for him and he had a complete fall from grace and his investments were terrible. Like he pretty much just had to close up shop, which isn't going to happen because he's a family office now anyway. But right. let's assume all of that. He will not be destitute, uh, living out his remaining days in the poorhouse. Whereas people who try to play these games, like he did, making short-term directional calls about the market do have their livelihood on the line. They, they're investing money that they're either consuming now or will be consuming soon, and it will be their paycheck replacement when they can't work any longer. That's irresponsible. So he's playing a totally different game than, than people out, out yeah. there who are you know wor- worried about short-term market movements. Uh, you know, For those who are freaked out right now or were freaked out earlier this year, or whatever the case may be, there was some good information, a good update to uh, Ed Yardini puts out great research, and uh, he actually keeps a record uh, since 2009, so basically since you know the end of the financial crisis back then, of all the reasons that you could have panicked about stocks, and uh, there are a handful from every year along the way. If I don't know if you guys want to pick out a random year uh, since 2009, I can read off all of the things that you could have been worried about just to give you, uh, you know, a taste of this. Let's do 2013 because you look back at what the market did that year and 2013 was a really good year in the market, but what were people worried about then? All right, so 2013 we had uh, in February, the Fed was making comments about ending QE. In April, we had worries about a slowdown in China and commodities were plunging. In May, Bernanke made comments about ending monetary easing policy. I think that was also like the taper tantrum. That's exactly what it was. Right. So and then in August, Fed speculation again about ending QE and weak retail sales. Uh, September, looming budget uh, deadlines and debt ceilings. And then in December, more Fed tapering fears. All, all on the way to a year where the market returned like 30%, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So the best year in recent memory, aside from... 2017, which was up, you know, nicely too. Those were the two best years that I can remember in recent history. Now there were times like uh, the summer of 2011 where there was a lot going on. Yeah, it was it was pretty rocky, 
uh, that summer for markets, but turned out okay. Right? Yeah, I mean, the only thing, the only things that it's two lines on here now would summarize the summer of 2011. We have Greek debt crisis, and then just in general, the eurozone debt crisis. Uh, skipped in there, I guess, would be the the downgrading of uh, U.S. US debt. debt. But you know, those those are just like two bullet points now that we chuckle about. They're just mile markers on the map. Michael Batnick wrote a post pretty much outlining that in in a different chart form, and his point was that there's always a reason to sell, and you we just listed off a handful. If if you dug into those headlines and got freaked out and panicked. Uh, you could have sold along the way, and who knows if you'd gotten back in because there's always going to be another reason coming up that could scare you away from getting back in. Ultimately, over that time, you know the market has returned nicely since then. It's it's interesting to look back on that because there were plenty of opportunities to to be scared out of your investments, um, and I think the important point that Michael makes, and and I've heard some of our other friends from from Twitter uh, talk about, is just just the idea that. Uh, the bearish kind of newsletters or market pundits out there usually sound really intelligent. They're, they usually are smart people who are buried in their work and, and they come up for air to share it with us. And it sounds way smarter than somebody who says like, yeah, that's true. But also like we should probably just hang in there because generally that's be been, all right. it's been it's been the thing to do over time. Optimism sounds naive, whereas pessimism sounds intelligent. And so you read these things and it's, it's tough to ignore them sometimes, especially based on who they may be coming from. I know that Batnick's piece showed that it's easy to come up with reasons to sell. It's very hard to find reasons to buy. And that's a lot of times we wind up talking to folks about putting money away on a systematic basis. And I just think that makes so much sense that you're not going to try and say, hey, the market was down 7% on Thursday. I guess Friday I should be pushing all my chips into the table. Or maybe I should be taking money off the table. I think it's a lot harder to try and time or gauge whether it's the right time to be doing something or not, and just say, I'm going to be on a systematic plan. If I've got too much risk in the in the market right now, I'm going to systematically de-risk over the next three months or over the next six months. Wherever the market is, that's where we're going to take a couple of chips off the table. In the reverse, we've got money going in. It might be in your 401k, where the money goes in every two weeks. It goes in automatically. Yeah, and that's another Batnick piece that he wrote. It was about automating your contributions. And he gave a very basic example of, you know, if you sent money in consistently every two weeks, just to a basic 60-40 portfolio, uh, as of last Friday, you would have been at an all-time high. That's a lot different for someone who might have tried to time when they put their contributions in, depending on, especially in a year like this, you don't know if you're catching it on the downslope or on if you miss something on the way back up. But if you're sending money in along the way, it doesn't really matter what the market is doing. That was one of the quotes that I wrote down. He said, automating frees you from the shackles of worrying about what the market does next. Because he said, consistently making the right decision during difficult times is an impossible burden to bear. It is. And I think the word consistently there is is very important too. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think sometimes the desire to time the entry or exit uh, from the market is is caused because people are playing with money that they shouldn't be. Right. Um, and so I think I think to preface all of this, like you need to have a plan in place and understand why you're investing the money and for what and like what the time horizon is because if you're your returns will be impacted over the very short term based on the timing of your purchases or sales. 
Uh, that is a fact because we don't know what direction the market's going to take. Uh, you know, for, for instance, somebody who did something this year could have had, like you said, tremendously different outcomes based on just one or two months time in the market. But if you have a better idea of why you're putting your money to work in the first place, then you shouldn't be worried about short term timing like that, because that is the sort of thing that if you're investing for an appropriate time horizon is not really going to matter all that much in the long run. It's not going to matter that you nailed the bottom or that you got out at exactly the top. If you have to do these things, again, systematically is, is the way to go just because it's impossible to do those things consistently. And I think it's quite frankly, a waste of time to try to talk about timing decisions. I think uh, we should all just admit that we're not going to time it perfectly and come up with something that is uh, it's bearable uh, in terms of the outcomes. Just it's managing risk. It's another way of managing risk is, is doing it that way. I agree with you, Brendan. And I, I, I think that if you do happen to catch a short term bottom as you're putting money to work, you may feel good for a day or two, or maybe even a week, but you're always going to be worrying. You're always going to be worry, worried about the next move down in the markets. The alternative is to just misremember the facts and say, yeah, I got in pretty close to the bottom a year ago or wherever. I mean, everybody's memory becomes foggy after a period of time. Yeah, I think Nick Majuli wrote a post. I don't have it in front of me, but I forget the exact number, but it was something like, 95% of the time there's going to be a lower price than like what you right what you invested at so it's like even if you do hit the short term bottom like a, a couple like a year later or maybe a couple months later there's probably going to be a lower price and it's like ah see I should have waited there was a lower price it's, it doesn't it doesn't and but it doesn't seem like that in the moment because especially yeah. on going onto the upside we feel like all this euphoria i remember each of the round numbers that we passed along the way from Dow 20,000 all the way up to where we got earlier this year before the market uh, took a dive again. I, I understand that back in the day, it used to be a bigger deal when you hit a new round number on the Dow and they'd like print hats and stuff. But like, we're acting as if like, you're never going to wear your Dow 20,000 hat again. And we did. We did. We did. When we went through 20,000, we went so far through it that you thought, hey, maybe maybe we will never see Dow below 20,000 again. But we did this year, and nobody would have predicted it. Nobody did predict it, but it happened. It's, so, it's easy to say, sitting here in June, that uh, do people really remember the Dow was down around 18,000? Right. It, in Not that long ago. It, oh. You know, third week of March. Right. Doing automated purchases saves you from getting too euphoric and saying stocks are never going down again i better put it all in now and it saves you from being too despondent and saying wow i don't know i don't know when the heck this is going to end maybe it is all going to zero because neither of those things are true i feel confident about it yeah and uh you know you, you can do some, there there's an alternative it's a boring alternative. It's like eating your vegetables, saying you're going to dollar cost average in, but it's the smart thing to do. So when I was growing up, I used to watch the Beverly Hillbillies, and the banker was his next door neighbor, uh, Milton Drysdale. The, the story with him was that he had made a ton of money in stocks, and he just lived off the dividends. Uh, Beverly Hillbillies were canceled 50 years ago, but we still talk to people today who say that that's exactly what they want to do, that they want to have a portfolio where they just live off the dividends. Yeah, and I don't think, especially in today's environment, I mean, the 10-year treasury is yielding 0.6%. 
it's not really feasible for most people unless you have millions upon millions of dollars to live off of the dividends. I, there was an article from Christine Benz in Morningstar, and she was saying in the 90s, it was a, a little more feasible because there were rates for 10-year treasuries around in between like 5 and 8%. But with where things are today, you're either accepting you know, less than 1% yield or you're increasing, the, you're chasing yield and that causes you to increase risk by going into high yield stuff or, yeah. you know, the equity side of yield with dividend stocks and utilities and just not really feasible for the everyday person. Yeah, just uh, as a yardstick, the last time that I saw in my career, the last time I saw a one year CD paying 6% was 1994. So it's over 25 years ago. And so people saying that they want to live off the dividends or live off the interest, it's, it's extremely hard to do right now. Yeah, I think, I think there's a misunderstanding uh, because I think people tend to think that like dividends and interest are, are safer because it's, it's tangible, it's paid out, it's, it's cash in hand. And to an extent that's true, but it depends on who's issuing it. And so if you want interest in dividend, I would caution anybody for thinking any kind of stock dividend is, is like safe or stable, no matter what company we're talking about. I'm sure you can Ugh. light up the board with some, some examples of that in just a minute. But, but in terms of interest, I mean, the only interest that I would consider safe and secure is a CD or something from the U.S. government. You know, even highly rated corporates are not like ultra secure. I mean, maybe you consider those safe, but but those sort of things, the the type of interest that you're going to get in today's world is half a percent to like maybe two percent, depending on what we're talking about. Right. So, if you're getting that sort of stuff, then as Tim alluded to, your the base of money that you have to have to just live off of that sort of interest and never touch the principal is you, you need to have vast sums of money or you need to spend absolutely nothing. So in, if your situation lies in between, which is most of the people who we come across, then it's just not feasible. Yeah, I mean, Tim also touched on the idea of, of dividends. And uh, I think no matter what, what we're talking about, you, know, some, you can find companies out there that are high yielding, just like you can find high yielding bonds. But I would caution anybody for believing that the interest or dividend payments on those things are, are rock solid or something that they should bank their livelihood on in retirement. Right. I think that's that's the important part, too, that what you just said at the end, like banking your retirement income on that. As an investment strategy in general, it's not that bad of an idea. But but to if you need that money to live on, like that you that's your livelihood. You need that. I wouldn't bank it on, you know, something risky like that. We see people come in the office and they'll show us their statements from their broker and they're they're loaded up in uh, high yield bonds. They're loaded up in uh, energy, master limited partnerships, MLPs, bank stocks. They don't utilities. even know that they're getting, you know, K1s with some of these investments. They're, they're overloaded in sectors like you just mentioned, banks, utilities, that if the market goes against you, the dividend isn't going to matter. Yeah, it's, it's nice that you, that you have a four, four or five percent dividend on that thing. It doesn't doesn't really matter too much when it goes down twenty percent. When the market goes down thirty, sure, it might it might go down a little bit less, but that's not gonna yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna save you, uh, you know, in, in terms of your income because then your income is based on a lower base of money. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna keep you up all night with horror stories, but I can just a couple. You know, in the 80s, we had tons and tons of clients who had thousands and thousands and thousands of shares of Long Island Lighting. And 
when their Shoreham nuclear power plant wasn't going to get you know the necessary approvals, they eliminated the dividend. They did not like start cutting the dividend. It was just gone. It was there Monday and gone on Tuesday. Right. And then what happens to your principal when that occurs? Stock went from 18 to 2. It's not like you just lose your income there. Like yeah. you also lose a it significant chunk price. of your right. principal. Yeah. So yep. the idea that you can you can have a portfolio where you never touch the principal, it's just not going to happen because no. there are going to be some year and it all depends on what you're counting as your principal anyway. Yeah. Okay. So we talk to people all the time who build up savings in their 401k and then maybe they're approaching retirement and they want help with planning and maybe we roll it to an IRA and people then are maybe considering, hey, I rolled over a million dollars and so my principal is a million dollars. But in reality, I mean, some of that money is money that was contributed every two weeks from a paycheck over the course of a career and then some of it's earnings anyway. Uh, it, it all depends on where we're drawing the line from. I mean, is it every year is that your new principal line because the mar the market went up 30% last year but it was mostly making up ground that we lost at the end of uh 2018 so like what what's the principle there it's it's tough to say so uh the article from Christine Benz was talking about an approach which is basically what we do here where we're just considering non market sources of uh income in retirement we're we're really talking about cash flow so non market sources of uh, income in retirement, like social security or a pension. Uh, and then we're looking at, you know, what the gap is between that and what people need and trying to come up with a portfolio that can that can reasonably throw off what they're gonna need it to. And most of the time, it's not just going to come from dividends and, and interest, unfortunately. It probably won't. Yeah. I think if you are realistic and say, hey, if I can put two years or three years or four years of that gap between my pension and social security income and what I'm actually going to need, if I can sock away that much money, then I can let the market do whatever it's going to do for the next two, three, four years, and we're going to work out okay. It just it just doesn't work like clockwork in the sense where uh, we, we put together a portfolio that between interest dividends and then market action, it throws off 4% and we're going to withdraw the 4% so that you're at the same point you were when you began the year and the next year we just do it again. I mean, just, that would be wonderful. I, I wish we could do it that yeah. way. It'd be a lot less nerve wracking for everybody involved, but we know how the market works. We're going to make 20% one year and then the market's going to do what it did earlier this year and it's going to give back some ground and you're going to have results all over the map. And that's just, it's just what happens. Okay, that's going to wrap up episode 311. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will catch up with you on the next podcast.